and there's that concept of allostatic load. So what we know with chronic pain becomes a, basically a nervous system issue. Your nervous system can get really ramped up and get good at expressing pain beyond what it actually needs to. And we know that things like lack of sleep, our emotions, our allergies, anything else that's going to really increase our inflammatory load or put stress on our system is actually going to increase our pain. So I think as physios, when we're dealing with pain, whether it be acute pain or chronic pain, I think we have to consider the whole person. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have a very special guest on the show, Peter Talbot. This beautiful soul has a passion for sports, science, and rehabilitation in the form of physiotherapy. You're going to love her approach using the mind-body approach, and you'll also understand just how clever she is, understanding the power of science and also appreciating the biomechanics of this incredible thing we call the human body. Peter Talbot has nearly 20 years experience as a physiotherapist and with a background in exercise and sports science. She is a titled sports and exercise physiotherapist, having completed her master's in 2016. She is at the forefront of the latest evidence-based management for a wide range of injuries and chronic pain conditions. She has a real passion not only for things around the spine and pelvis, but also the hip, groin and rib injuries. She's also worked across many different clinics in Sydney, addressing both acute and complex chronic issues. What she really enjoys doing these days is spending time working in the women's health arena, having worked with pre- and postnatal care and complex rib cage and pelvic issues. This amazing soul has incredible background in her own power of being a top athlete and also we talk today about how to inspire our children to grow with a competitive mindset but also realizing and appreciating that our emotions also have a part to play in our physical condition. I know you're going to love today's podcast. You are going to absolutely enjoy her approach to being a mindful motion physio, which is her website, mindfulmotion.com.au. But also you'll be able to follow her on Instagram. These uh, links are in the show notes. I know you're going to enjoy today's podcast and a special add-on is that not only is this woman amazing in her business, but she happens to be my sister-in-law. Enjoy today's show. As you can hear, I am delighted to bring to you this week a very special soul, someone who has an incredible interest, as you've heard, in the power of the body. And I'm really delighted to welcome to the show the gorgeous Peter Talbot. Welcome. Thank you. Well, Peter, before we get into what you do on a daily basis, maybe you could give us a brief background where you grew up, what got you into the amazing work that you've done, and what led you down this pathway of loving so much about the human body? Um, yeah, I grew up in the Blue Mountains, in the lower Blue Mountains, um, and I quickly developed a passion for athletics. I was a sprinter, and throughout that period, obviously, I had a few <laughs> injuries. Um, and I love science, and that really got me interested in the body and sports science and physiotherapy, which is 
ultimately what I became. And when you think back to those school days and watching athletics, there's a question I want to ask you, because so many of us mums, competitive, you know, we're all athletics, a lot of us into athletics, but there's this real thing these days of children, everybody getting an award, like thinking back to your days of being an athlete, first, second and third, that was it. Tell me your perspective on that now as a mum of two amazing little kids. But what do you think about little athletics and everybody winning awards? Yeah, it's very interesting, actually, because I look at my daughter, who's very competitive. (laughs) I know for me, I, I think for myself, I was never motivated by that. I remember I wanted to do I begged my mum to do athletics and she wasn't that keen because she thought it would tie up the weekends and ultimately she ended up spending every weekend with me doing athletics. But um, I remember when I first started athletics, I used to get third or fourth in every event. And um, and as the years went on, I gradually started winning things. So for me, it wasn't always the award. It was the, and I think athletics being a very personal sport as well, it was almost like tr- bettering my time all the time. Um, so I think I was always competitive against myself. So while the trophies at the end were sort of good, I think when I was younger, if I got third, that was amazing. It didn't matter that I wasn't winning. But um, I've often thought, do I start my daughter in athletics? And I actually don't think she'd be very good at losing. <laughs> and, but, I, and, but I think I think kids, I do think kids need to lose. I think they need to understand that they can't, um, I think we need to praise them, but I also think we need to acknowledge their trying. Mm-hmm. And if their trying is bettering themselves, it's not about winning. It's about um, improving on themselves and learning from their learning from their experiences. Yeah, because I know for us, our son, Jacob, you know him, <laughs> he was highly competitive and would tell us he was going to win and if he didn't win he'd get upset but then my training as a parent as a mum was to show him how to win gracefully but lose even more gracefully and also the power in congratulating someone else's wins Mm. like that sportsmanship right yes so so from your perspective then growing up you're beating your time you're getting better and better you obviously were very good at school. I'll just add in she was the ducks of the school. Um, there's a real passion for you then, in my humble opinion, to be the best you could possibly be, regardless of trophies or outcomes. Yep. What was that drive? What Was that your parents? Was it pushed? Was it something that's just in you? I don't know. I, I was very self-motivated. I was the person who would go and train by myself and I wouldn't need someone to tell me to train. I was always ready to come to training um and I think with schoolwork too I think because I'd I'd learned that discipline in sport I put that into my schoolwork and and because I was sort of by the time I got to high school I was at a high level of athletics and away on a lot of camps and training a lot I decided that well I needed to I made myself very regimented in um putting aside a time aside for studying and and I I think I excelled in that a lot more than I expected to I think I surprised myself um what was the question (laughs) do you think it was do you think those qualities were bred into by your parents parents or do you think it was you a bit of both Mm -hmm. I think I think my parents were both very um 
high achievers in a way, all very, very structured. Um, but I think it was a little bit of just my own determination. I, and I guess seeing what I could achieve when I put effort in made me more and more motivated too. And that's probably also a little bit of that people pleasing. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I had a coach who was um who was also a teacher. And he he'd often test me at training on <laughs> on subjects and things. Um but yeah overall I think it was more self-motivation, but I don't know where I'm probably a combination of everything. Yeah. Do you think then from your perspective a lot of people that I've interviewed that are very good at sport and have a very good discipline around their sport, do you think then, I mean, could you say or would you say sport is a metaphor for life? Would you say that what you learn in sport becomes incredibly appropriate for what we do in life? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and even just, I mean, they say team sports are team building, but I think even individual sports are quite team building because you're spending time with other people that you're training with, like you said, you, you're encouraging everyone else and you're seeing other people's achievements. So I think it's, I definitely think it's a metaphor for life. With two children, let's just talk about these two little poppets. Um, I want to go back to your career, but I just want to talk about your two children. They're now five and coming up three. They are both athletic and showing signs of it. How do you know as a mum which direction to put them in? I mean, you said your mum wasn't too keen to go to athletics every week. I know I wasn't keen to spend a lot of time at cricket for my children. But then I remember it was perspective because one of the ladies said to me, I love cricket. I get to spend four hours here watching a game, reading the paper with no interruptions. So she had a different yeah. skin. Yeah, it's interesting. My husband and I have talked about that recently, actually, because I think my daughter would be good at athletics, but I don't want to push her into that just because I did. And so she's already, so we're sort of trying to get her to try some things. So she tried tennis for a little bit and then her coach changed and she decided she didn't like that. And then we tried dancing. And I actually think she'd be really enjoy gymnastics because she loves doing flips and things. And I've realised I have to put, I worked with gymnastics for 15 years and I realised when she said gymnastics, I'm like, oh, I don't want to get caught in gymnastics. <laughs> I realised I have to put my biases aside if that's something that she's interested in yeah the gym is a huge thing and a lot of sport particularly around dancing or flexibility or strength around that can be quite oh, look can I ask you the question is it good for them or is it damaging for them from a physiotherapy and physiology point of view I think it's really good for them okay um and because you do develop a lot of those skills and it's a lot of those skills that we don't get as much with our kids these days kids aren't climbing trees as much they're not um schools are a bit stricter on where they can and can't do things and and how they can play and I think that's bad anyway there's some statistics coming out showing that kids now are more likely to get ACL injuries and injuries you didn't see in kids as much because they haven't developed that strength and agility um as much as kids 20 or 30 years ago would it so I do think gymnastics is really good for that um I think it's just there's still and I think it's changing but there's still that mentality in gymnastics where um it's a bit push push and not listen not le learning not to listen to your body and I think that is it, when I was working in gymnastics it was starting to change but I think there's some real ingrained patterns particularly from the Russian and the, the Chinese 
nations and a lot of the coaches over here have come from that background um, where sometimes the kids have just been pushed well beyond their limits when they're injured. And, and that's it's, it's a challenging thing to watch. Taylor, our daughter, she got very into gymnastics and a Russian coach in Auckland took over and pushed her and she just looked at me and said, I don't want to do it anymore. And I have a friend um, who was... Um, I wouldn't, I was going to say ran for a gymnastics. No, did gymnastics at the Commonwealth Games. And she even said to me, oh, it's a tough sport to be highly competitive in. Mm. So let's talk about that then. From your perspective, you have a master's in sports physiotherapy. You have studied the body so exclusively and for such a long time. Can you tell us then what is physiotherapy and how does it differ to other therapies and what made you go down this pathway? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I went down the physiotherapy pathway, I guess, because that's where my experience had been. So when I had injuries um, when I was younger, I went to a physio. Um, And I think the world of physio, osteo, chiro is really is really changing. I guess physio was always more about the, being more exercise based. Yes, we did manual therapy, but we were very, uh, very evidence based, exercise based. Whereas osteo, my understanding of osteopathy and chiropractic was that it was a little bit more holistic. I think that's really changing now. I think physio is becoming a lot more holistic, and I've certainly done some osteopathy osteopathy courses which then I incorporate into my practice as well and I don't know as much about chiropractic but I know osteos from my understanding uh, a distant cousin recently did it um has become a little bit more science-based and I know chiros and osteos are using a bit more exercise in their clinics now so I think it's there's quite a lot of overlap and I think we're a lot more on the same page than what it has been in the past and then I guess as all individuals we develop our own way of treating in our own thoughts based on the evidence and based on our clinical experience. Well, that would be my understanding because every physio I've had the pleasure, although it's usually because I'm injured, um, to see, they've done everything so differently. I wouldn't say any of them are the same anymore. Yep. Same with, I've got five different chiropractors I'll see on a mm. different basis depending on where I am. They're all very different. So what do you think then would be the reason someone would come to a physio? Because to me, if I've got an injury, I want to see a physio. Yeah. Oh, I think in general, we still probably cover more of the sports science side of things. And I mean, there's even overlap with exercise physiologists now too, in that they're very rehab exercise based, um, which is interestingly very different to America, because my understanding is in America, if you've got a sports injury, you go and say Cairo. Um, and physio is a bit different over there. But I guess it's finding the practitioner that works for you, um, whether it be physio, osteo, or chiro. Um, I think there's so uh, the scope is so broad these days. What I might do for someone as a physio and what someone down the road might do as a physio could be completely mm. different. So... It does come back to a personal thing then, doesn't it? Yeah. So talk us then through now your interests in physio. You said you specialise more in sports and obviously you have a real interest because of your own physical body and your interests. You've also got a real passion and interest in women's health and well-being. Where did that evolve? So I started working in a a specialised spine and pelvis clinic in Sydney 
um, earlier on in my career. And it was interesting because I had a friend who wanted to go and do this. We don't learn a lot about the pelvis. Well, in those days, we didn't learn a lot about the pelvis in physio. And I had a friend who wanted to do this course with this lady who focused on pelvis in Melbourne. And I wasn't that interested, but we're having a shopping weekend. So I was like, yeah, I'll come along. And it it really gelled with me because I I initially did sports science before I did physio and I had this real biomechanical mind and the course that we did was very biomechanical and suddenly things started to click with me. I hated treating backs prior to that. Backs frustrated me. I felt I had a 50% heat rate whether I improved someone or not. Um, And then a job came up in this lady's clinic and I ended up taking it and it was a a very challenging clinic. we were very busy, but because we saw a lot of spine and pelvis, we did a lot of sports. So we did a lot of groin injuries, osteitis pubis, that sort of thing, like AFL athletes and soccer. But being the pelvis, we also um, did a lot of pre and postnatal work, so pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy. And then we saw a lot of chronic pain, which, again, used to really frustrate me. <laughs> and, and, you know, we charged a lot. So there was this expectation that we had to fix Everyone. So I guess that, and I love the pre and postnatal work because people would come in sore, but they'd be excited by their birth, their impending birth, or their, by their pregnancy. And um, and I hadn't had kids at that stage, but I really enjoyed it because there was some excitement, and I felt like I could make a huge difference with those clients. So that's where my interest in sort of more women's health came in. And then I was working with New South Wales gymnastics, and that sort of stretched more into the trampolining side of things. And there are a lot of the athletes there that were getting um, issues with incontinence, so leakage when they were doing sport. And that sort of fueled my interest even more in what happens with pelvic floor and pelvis and the core and and that sort of thing. And so incorporating that women's health side of things with sport has has been a real interest. And it kind of melds, doesn't it? Like we can't take the athlete out of the woman and the woman out of the athlete. Yeah, that's right. So you then fell pregnant and we had your pregnancy. I'm saying this all now as if I'm really friendly. I'm trying really hard to keep this professional, but this beautiful soul, as you know, is my sister-in-law. But you then fell pregnant. You Talk to us about your pregnancies then, knowing what you know, this is where I'm curious. Knowing what you know, as your body is changing and evolving and, and moving and growing and becoming more flexible and subluxed and all the different things that happen when we're pregnant, yeah. do you have like this insider's knowledge as to what's happening at each stage and phase? Yeah, a little bit. And I did feel that particularly with from an exercise point of view because I was really keen to, to keep running. And then I got to about 22 weeks and I was like, oh, every time I ran, I felt like I needed to go to the toilet. I'm like, yeah, I think this is maybe the stage I should stop running now. And then I realised if I ran backwards or sideways, it didn't happen. So I was trying everything to keep my my running up, my passion. But but I think until, but then I, I really found that until I went through pregnancy of my own, here I had been treating pregnant and postpartum women for so long, but until I went through it myself, I didn't truly appreciate what you actually what the body actually goes through. And so in terms of now treating other women, it's having my own children and going through pregnancy has um, has changed my thought process a little bit and how I treat. 
it's kind of nice, isn't it? Once you experience something, yes. you, when they talk about those little, and sometimes it's the little things. I've just got this niggle. I used to have this niggle constantly in my sacroiliac. And it yep. wasn't until I was seeing a physio that actually had had children. She talked about, correct me if I'm wrong, but the subluxation was happening. The hormones were releasing things to allow the pelvis. Yep. Again, comes back to the pelvis. How the heck does a woman give birth? It's, like it's incredible, isn't it? I just yeah. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. I've obviously got an interest through your eyes. I'm passionate about seeing how women I love. I've been at six different births. I've had the privilege to use oils with different births, my own births, but I am still blown away, Peter, at how a woman grows a baby then the child is birthed vaginally or sometimes c-section so from your perspective then women that have to have c-sections or women that get told you'd be better to have a c-section obviously all we want is a healthy mum and a healthy baby so what's the differences for you what's the benefits or pros or what should we be doing either way look um i think Either way, it's interesting. There's some really great research that's finally come out um, just really recently that's looked at women with who do heavy resistance training through their pregnancies because there was always this thing of, oh, how heavy should we be doing? How much, when should we stop running? And the evidence seems to now suggest that the, the those people who are sort of really fit and, and lifting heavy have no worse outcomes in the postpartum period and, in fact, actually are less likely to have complications in delivery. And, I mean, I know that's very individual and this is just a generalisation, but um, but definitely keeping healthy and keeping fit and keeping strong, there's no, unless you have a specific issue with your pregnancy, there's no reason that you can't keep strong through your pregnancy and can potentially lead to better outcomes. And then in terms of a cesarean versus vaginal delivery, I guess... You can still have complications either way. Obviously, if you're not birthing through the vaginal canal, there's less likelihood of tearing and significant pelvic floor damage. Um, but you can still experience a prolapse even through having a cesarean delivery just because the amount of pressure that's on your pelvic floor during that time can be an issue. But with cesarean section, you've got the complications of the scar, some, sometimes people have problems with their scars, infection, things not healing well, um, and that can delay recovery as well. And I've had women who have had both deliveries and some people say, oh, my gosh, the cesarean was so much easier, and other people say, no, I'd, I'd have a vagina delivery any day. So it can be really dependent on the experience. I guess some people will labour for 20 hours and then have an emergency cesarean, which, you know, they almost get the double whammy, but it's, it's very individual mm. in terms of the outcomes on the body and my own experience very fast labor um three hours from woe to go and it kind of freaked us out and I did go into a bit of shock but then I nearly had to have a c-section to get my placenta out because I had an adhesive placenta so I almost had to have both experiences as well thankfully with the help of the midwife and the obstetrician we delivered the placenta another two hours later believe it or not but my curious curiosity around C-section and vaginal birth, again, ultimately, I don't think it matters so long as we have a healthy baby. Do you know much about what they talk about with the vaginal birth with the bacteria and yep. the baby getting the bacteria in the mouth and it helps to seed as opposed to C-sections where they actually get sterile cloths and try and seed that bacteria? What's yep. your understanding of that? 
I don't know a lot about it, but I know that there's a lot of obstetricians that will, will do the seeding now, um, where others are a bit more cautious if they're worried about what type of bacteria is in the canal. Um, so, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on the evidence of that, but I know that it's been done more and more, but there's probably certain times when it's not indicated if they're worried that that might cause more nice. infection. Yeah. But a lot of, um, and this is something I looked into with my second at the time, but um, more and more obstetricians now are actually doing maternal-assisted cesareans. So they're actually letting the mother in a sterile environment assist in pulling the baby out via cesarean section so that they can get that experience of pulling their baby out and being able to have it on their chest, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, some obstetricians are still a bit worry about it, but I'm hearing more and more and doing it now, which for those women who would really love a vaginal birth but don't have that opportunity for whatever reason, then that's kind of the, the next best thing. Yeah, because my experience of seeing C-section pictures and videos, I haven't been in a room, was that, that there's a wall. And, yeah. and I get that you don't want to see yeah. really what's going on. But sometimes seeing, they'll put the curtain down, sometimes they won't. And, so yeah. That's really cool to hear that because that is sometimes some women seem to carry a bit of regret or even trauma around not having that ability. Mm. So moving then, you now, you had your two beautiful children, this beautiful, idyllic, gorgeous little babes, a little boy and a little girl. Talk to us then about being a mum, watching the development. So I've got one question in particular. Mm-hmm. We had jolly jumpers. Yep. And chairs or like things that the baby would sit in and use their little feet, yep. even though they couldn't walk. What is your thoughts around what's happening to their growth or the pelvic girdle of a baby as they develop? Are they good or not good? Yeah. I my And again, pediatrics isn't my specialty, but my understanding is they're not great. But then again, I think it comes down to the individual child. If the child is prone to maybe developing some issues in their calves or that sort of thing, then they're probably more likely. Um, my kids tried them for Limbi and weren't, weren't that interested. <laughs> so I'm not, yeah, and the research could have changed, but my understanding is that of the research was that they don't really like the idea of encouraging them to be on their toes because it's not a natural gait. But, yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, if you stuck a child in it all day versus, you know, they have a little play in it for half an hour. But, yeah, I think ideally you... You want the child to develop in their own time and being, if they're on their feet, being able to use their balance and stand on their feet as opposed to having something support them there when they're not quite ready. And it doesn't affect the girdle, the pelvic girdle? I'm actually not sure about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I wasn't I'm, sure. From either. a paediatric point of view, I'm not really up to date on that. Well, let me talk to you about paediatrics a little bit more, even though I know it's not your specialty. Another question I get asked a lot is, the difference between a bum shuffler and a crawler. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about that? Like what would you do if you had a, a mother bring in her child say I'm worried about her bum shuffling? Yeah, I think as long as they get there eventually. I remember my cousin was a bum shuffler. Thanks, fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still quite athletic. Um, yeah, I actually don't. Is there anything don't to know. say that one's better or worse or why they do it? There's a whole bluey episode on this. Oh, really? <laughs> Um, I, whether it's just that they don't, they really desperately want to move and they don't have the skill for it yet. So they find their own way or whether there's something there that they can't structurally, that is an issue that's preventing them from 
crawling. I know, actually, I know one of my girlfriends, her child was a bum shuffler um, because he had an issue with his thumb. So that he didn't like putting weight on his thumb. So she ended up going and getting some pediatric physio on his thumb and then he started to crawl again. So it can sometimes be just that, I guess, yeah, for some reason they can't do it so they find another way and whether that's they can't do it because they haven't gone through that leap yet or whether there's another structural issue. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because a lot of mums worry. I've got friends who are worried their children are bum shufflers and I'm like every child I've seen that's a bum shuffler becomes a great human. So I just wondered from a neurological development point of view, they say the crawling and the alternation of arms and legs, is that developmental associated to the brain? Is that what they talk about with crawling? Yeah. Yeah. So my advice would be to go and see a specialised paediatric physio because they might pick up something that can be quite simple like a thumb um, or whether it can be anything sort of more more significant yeah look I'm loving this because a lot of mums listening to this who are pregnant or just postpartum what would be your advice either pre during or postpartum what are the best things we can do to look after ourselves physiologically like what would be some of the best movement things you'd recommend Look, I think there's a quote in physio that motion is lotion, and I think that that is true for everything. I think, I think postpartum, I guess we really, you really, it's listening to your body. Um, people have many different experiences, um, whether they're having pelvic girdle problems or whether they're trying. And I think there's this push in society that we've got to get our mum board back and as quickly as possible. And and again, the the research would suggest now that. It takes a good three months for our hormones to really settle down. Um, and then if you're breastfeeding, longer. So we don't sort of recommend doing high-impact exercise for the first three months. But, yet yeah, getting back into something like walking, just gentle exercise can have great benefits, physical and mental, because walking uses every muscle in your body. If you're out in nature, in the sunshine, if hopefully your child's asleep, <laughs> you've got your drink in hand I, I think that um, let's just like, note the drink was water not gin <laughs> I was gonna say coffee and then I'm like it's not always great <laughs> um I like I think the benefits physically and mentally of getting moving as soon as possible within your limits um uh, you know, even just walking, you're using your pelvic floor, you're using your, your stomach muscles, everything that you need to be sort of starting to tighten up. But it, it, it takes time. And I know um, my sister actually recently just finished breastfeeding when her daughter was nearly three. And I went for a run with her the other day and she said, oh, this is the first time I haven't really felt loose around my pelvis. So, you know, hormones can have a huge role in that laxity and things afterwards. So I think you just need to, it's not to say that you, if you're still breastfeeding, you can't start to get back to your exercise, but I think you need to be aware that your body is still a little bit different. Mm. Um, and, again, that can be really different. Well, well I think, too, that's where women, and maybe social media is great for so many things, but that comparisonitis, I think yes. that's a new word, but that comparison that you see someone who three months postpartum is looking amazing or, yep. you know, I think that puts a lot of pressure on women. Yes. So your advice around that, is it the same? Do it for you. It's individual. Yeah. And some people were like, I remember, I remember treating clients and going, oh my gosh, how have they lost their stomach in three months? And I was lucky. I was one of those people, my 
kids sucked the life out of me breastfeeding and, and I lost weight quite easily. But I've had other clients who breastfeed continually and and struggle to lose the weight. And that's just their their hormone profile, unfortunately. So I think just, yeah, listening to your body, getting into some sort of low-impact exercises as much as you can and doing your pelvic floor exercises. And I think getting a, a women's health check just to give you the confidence of what you can and can't do because, I mean, sometimes we can be doing pelvic floor exercise and it might not be the right thing for us. Some people can have actually overactive pelvic floors. Um and I, I'm not actually not a trained women's health physio, but I do a lot of the pre and postnatal screens. So if there's anyone that I'm a bit concerned of, I'll send them to a, a specialised women's health physio who does more of an internal examination. Um, I tend to use ultrasound where I can I can pick up what's happening with the pelvic floor and the, the stomach muscles, but there's some things sometimes that you can't pick up, and that's where a women's health physio is more specialised in that. But um, but just yeah, knowing what I guess having that knowledge of what you can and can't do sometimes just by having a check. Um, and I know in France, apparently under their Medicare, their equivalent of Medicare, women, once they give birth, are entitled to 10 free physio sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that Australia are try, they're really trying to push in Australia and I'm hoping that will be something that will, will come out in the next few years that, because a lot of women don't know that physios can help with these things yes oh i think that's the not or or they're worried it costs so much yes yeah yeah so in your humble opinion then even though you have a very science background and you are very biomechanical you sound like and you obviously portray a very holistic approach like and it's it's actually very commendable and i think what i love about your work is that you look at the whole person. Like I've noticed you talk talk about emotions. You'll talk about how they're feeling. And so how do you think our feelings and emotions also play with our physical realm? Is it intertwined in your opinion? Yeah, I think I think physio definitely, and this is where we maybe we've lagged behind a bit, but I think we definitely take a mind-body approach these days. And it's quite funny because when I said to you, I really love that biomechanical approach, my approach over the years has actually become more... <laughs> listening to my hands again um and and I there's a huge amount and I I do a lot of chronic pain these days as well and there's a huge amount of research out now and and there's that concept of allostatic load so what we know with chronic pain becomes a basically a nervous system issue your nervous system can get really ramped up and get good at expressing pain beyond what it actually needs to and we know that things like lack of sleep, our emotions, our allergies, anything else that's going to really increase our inflammatory load or put stress on our system is actually going to increase our pain. So I think as physios, when we're dealing with pain, whether it be acute pain or chronic pain, I think we have to consider the whole person. You know, you can have someone who's had a really traumatic birth and um, their pain level is probably going to be significantly higher because of what they've experienced emotionally and how they feel about their injury as opposed to someone who on their last day of their grand final in the last five minutes straightened a calf and they, they have a desk job anyway so it's not going to affect them. So their emotional component of that injury compared to someone who's been through a really traumatic birth and has a lot of pain can be quite can be quite different and affect their perception of their pain 
I, I don't actually know how you do any of it because it's so individual. <laughs> and it's really tricky. And I, I used to hate treating chronic pain because I'd go, oh. And I actually remember I was working in a clinic where we were all curtained off so we could sort of hear what was going on. And I had this client one day and she just had all these injections and she was really angry with why the injections didn't work. And I was trying to explain to her this concept of, you know, she's had pain for a very long time. So her system's upregulated and it's not just about the tissue, which is why the injections probably haven't worked because there's other things contributing to her pain. <laughs> and I, I must have done a terrible job because she's gone to me. It's not in my head, you know, and I, I walked out of the room and my colleague who is next to me said, well, that went really well. <laughs> and so it is really tricky and I've and I've I've only recently found that I feel much more confident in explaining the idea of this um this bigger picture of pain to people um and being able to get these concepts across because they're even you know I do pain courses and they're so complex it takes me a while to get my head around and then I've got to try and put it in layman's terms and simplify it and for for people to understand and it, it is really complex and the more we know about pain I think the less we know really um and the interplay of the mind and we know that there's links with uh, mental health and PTSD and chronic pain because they're all setting off this alarm system so with your pain you're constantly setting off that sympathetic drive that alarm system but PTS is doing the same thing and obviously anxiety is doing the same thing so they all really play on each other so so I think we as physios can sort of recognise that but we're not always the we almost need a multidisciplinary approach we need to incorporate whether it be naturopaths and dietitians and and mental health specialists, it needs to be a really multifactorial approach, I think. I saw an acronym for PAIN, P-A-I-N, pay attention, integrate now. Pain is there. It's the body's way of talking to you, isn't it? It's the yes. body's way of telling you something's not right. Yep. Yet, I'll say this honestly, when I was training as an ultramarathon runner, the whole mentality was no pain, no gain. Yep. Um, and the other thing was go hard or go home. We were into ballistic stretching. Like, it was so not what it is today. Yep. How the heck did we even manage? Or is that why you're seeing so many of us in our 50s now <laughs> carrying <laughs> Possibly, yeah. It re it really has changed, and I mean, there's a degree with I guess with which we need to push through things, but there's also you know there's a real push now that you need to be listening to your body. Sometimes just a rest day, you know, a rest. I think we need to consider rest days as part of training. It's really important. No one can train seven days a week and not get injured. Um, there's I think I posted recently on my poorly managed Instagram account. Um, is about a study and they looked at endurance athletes and those who have two rest days as opposed to none have significantly less injuries and the statistic was really significant. So I think we need to factor in rest days as an essential part of our training, not just uh, a day, a lazy day sort of thing. I, I just think this is huge for people to understand because from a power, uh, this world and that we live in now, it's do this, get that done, achieve that. It's sort of like we're on this treadmill of life. Yeah. So I would even say what you're talking about, then we can apply to life as well. Like it's okay to have a rest day. Yes. Whatever happened to Sunday rest day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shops are all open. People are working. There's this constant drive for more, more, yes. more. As a mum in this day and age, how are you going to integrate the teachings of that with your beautiful children? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really a good one, and that's something that I'm really trying to implement myself at the moment. I'm I'm working part time, and I'm I've gotten a lot more busier, and it. And then on my days with my kids, I'm like, oh, I need to do all this and that, and I'm like, no, I actually need to stop and be present with my kids and play with my kids, the housework and wait. But it is, I guess, I've come. I was that person too. I was that push, 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 push. And I remember one year I just was really busy and I was pushing so much I actually really got burnt out. So and that made me really stop and go, okay, well, I need to work more on that rest sort of thing. So be the example. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so with the kids, I guess, um making sure they're not doing too many extracurricular activities that they've got days when they come home they can just play and that sort of thing. And yeah, being the example, having having a lazy weekend every now and then and not having to just be out, out all the time sort of thing. Well, they get exhausted anyway, don't they? They have they walls do. and they're actually a great barometer in many ways for where we're all at as a family. I've often noticed if they fall apart, I'm like, yeah, what have we been doing too much of? Yeah. So we talked a little bit on emotions. So the emotional welfare of children growing, how do you instill you know you've got a mind-body approach, but how do you instill the mindset stuff with not only children but adults? You just mentioned how challenging it was to tell someone that maybe there's the sympathetic dominance going on and she she reacted. Yep. We don't like to be told it's yes. in our head. Yeah. We don't like change or to be told what we should be doing. Yep. How are you managing that as a mum, as a woman, as a wife, and as a businesswoman? Yeah, that's a really hard question. I don't know. <laughs> I think with my and and I've been looking into a lot of child psychology lately too and and child pain a lot of child pain stuff is coming up at the moment too and I I think it's that um just allowing them to have those emotions but being present with them and and being that that comfort when you need it for kids Okay, so I just want the listeners to know that I'm bringing this up because this poor mama bear <laughs> was up something like five times last night to different children. It's it's hard because, and the reason I'm asking it is because you're exhausted. Yeah. But you, as a woman, as a mum, as an adult, still has the choice on how you respond. Yeah. So I'm I love the way you parent. I love how you're calm, but also you allow your children to express themselves. It's not like like I was talking to my brother, your husband, about this saying, you know, all emotions have a positive intent. There's, yes. there's something out of there. Yeah. How do you, how can we tell mama bears out there to, st- how do you to stay calm? How do you do it? Yeah, it's true. And I have days where I don't and I'm like, and then I go, oh, and then I feel guilty. Um, <laughs> but I think having, I'm, I'm, I think reading a lot and I, I'm, I'm better at now. I remember I got through a stage, I felt like my first child, my first two years, I felt like, super mama felt like I had it all sorted and then she really started to push my buttons when she got to about three and I was getting so frustrated with her the way she was reacting to things and I had to stop and go why am I getting frustrated about that that's that's normal and I think that's the hard part sometimes going oh that's a normal childhood behavior I think speaking to other mums makes you go okay we're all going through the same thing but it is hard and and I think sometimes I just need to stop myself and go okay that's just her child behavior that's not her being a brat or that's or and just take a few deep breaths and you know it's easy to say that but I still have my days where I just go oh you guys are driving me crazy just stop (laughs) 
especially when they're playing together so beautifully and the next minute one takes or touches something or puts it out of order and then take into account their own little individual personalities. It's not like they're two robots or any of us that have got more than one children, one child, they're not all the same. Yes. So then how you manage their emotions or yeah. how to discipline them. Have you noticed it's different? Because you've got a boy and a girl yes. as well. Yes, very different, very different. And so how would you discipline, is it a boy-girl thing or is it a different child thing, different personality? I don't know. Having only had, having a boy was an experience for me because I grew up with a sister. Um, I think it's a child thing because I speak to other mums of boys and they're not all like my little one. Um, but he definitely needs a firmer discipline. Um, whereas my daughter, if you're firm with her, she'll be in tears. So you need to sort of go around it a little bit more gently. But then I guess that's like with clients too. You there's some clients that you can I can talk to about the the pain stuff and they'll just get it. They'll have that awareness. And there's other ones that you kind of just need to shove it in a little bit differently or you know they've got anger associated with them pain so let them express their anger and they're you know they're allowed to be angry about their pain and I guess that's the same thing with kids too they're allowed to be angry that their brother's stolen their toy <laughs> but they're not allowed to hit them and jump on <laughs> I remember going to a parenting course once that talked about hitters and biters and slappers and what all our kids do at different stages and one mother yelled out, or just or when they're angry, tell them to use a pillow. But he turned around, the instructor, and said, what happens the day he hasn't got the pillow, though? And so I, that was a bit of an aha for me, like, don't go and whack the bed because the bed's not there. So it was more about how to express that emotion without hurting anyone or anything. Is that something you feel similar about, or are you okay if they get a like whack, take it out on the, I don't know, on a toy on the floor or something. Like what's your thought? Well, I, guess that's, I guess that's letting out their energy, isn't it? As long as it's not another person, if they need to, sometimes I say to my daughter, stomp your feet if you need to, don't hit your brother because that's that's getting that emotion out, that's getting that energy out. Yeah, and it needs so, to be expressed. Yeah. They're allowed to be angry, right? Yeah. They're allowed yeah. to be upset their brother's taken something. Yes. So so many times parents want to stop the fight but actually teach them to negotiate or teach them what is it. And I think yeah. because we're so busy, and I'm not knocking parents here, we're so busy that we just want it to be okay because we've got so much to do. And it comes back to that whole vicious cycle of not having rest or understanding the ability to step back and observe or maybe give our advice to our children in a more instructive way rather than a telling way. Yeah, and you're very good to at their that. calm, <laughs> yes. which is sometimes. <laughs> so, so, okay, so then your advice is let the expression happen, wait for the expression, and then talk to them because no one's going to hear it in an emotive no, stage anyway. No, and half the time they don't hear it anyway. You're <laughs> <laughs> telling them 10 times over. <laughs> and, and I guess it comes back to what you said before about modeling I guess if you're staying calm they learn to, yeah. to stay calm which is the tricky bit and maybe let them be kids I've, I've watched I've I've looked at mums with children in a supermarket or a thing and the kids absolutely losing their yep. shizzle and I look at the mum and go great job I always <laughs> smile at the mum because we've been there yes but I had a woman come up to me at a shop once with Jacob, I wouldn't let him have the Spider-Man. Taylor got pushed in the trolley so her back was hurt. They were both screaming. And I had this mother say to or this woman, I don't know if she was, I don't think she was a mother, um, say to me, that's the most disgusting behavior. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. She told me off at warehouse in Glenfield. I'll never forget it. 
I was mortified. If I wasn't so broken and so worried about what was happening, I would have probably burst into tears. Do you know what? It was another woman that came up behind me and said, well, clearly she's not a mother. I think you're doing a great job. That I almost burst into tears with that because that was being so nice, you know. But I just remember thinking, wow, such two totally different viewpoints. How can we possibly judge when a mum is doing the best she can, no matter what, and a dad for that matter. So it comes back to it, not only have we talked about modelling, but also being calm and also being the example when it comes to our own health and wellness. There's an element, we want our kids to grow up strong. We want them to be independent. We want them to know that they can handle life, which means they're going to learn resilience and tenacity and also not winning, as we said at the beginning. And so it's really, life is massively complicated but, you know, it comes back to the power of believing in themselves and having respect for themselves and knowing that they are a beautiful, unique individual, yep. loving themselves. What would be your definition of self-love? Um, probably for me, in my personal experience, self-awareness. So being aware of when I'm, if I'm doing things for the right reasons, if I'm if something is going to work for me sort of thing, knowing when I'm pushing myself too far and I actually don't need that. I think that would be my definition of self-love. And when you're not pushing it and not going too far, what does that mean to you then? What is, does that mean listening or? Yeah, being present. Yeah. It's such, do you know that is such an underrated word? We often will focus on the past, things that have gone right well or not well. Yeah. We're always dreaming or creating something that we wish to happen in the future. Yeah. But we forget this moment, don't we? Yeah. I think that's something I really love. I love being around you for that. Um, I think being around you and my brother with the young children, it's taken me back, but also just reminds you of how important these years are because I have to say to you, looking at your little ones, it doesn't feel like that long ago (laughs) that my 24 and 23-year-old were there and it does go quick no matter what. If the person that listens to this podcast is always interested and inspired by people's stories and their individuality and uniqueness and all the things that make you who you are, what would be your advice to the podcast listener with your experiences? What would mm-hmm. be your overall general message to the beautiful listener? In terms of just the life. Life. Um, I guess that just being present and doing things, not just for yourself, because obviously it's important to be doing things for other people too, but um, just living a life that's true to yourself and that sounds corny that's probably <laughs> it's so the true. buzzword at the moment but uh, I think it's true and that's I think that's part of the reason we moved out of the city just to have a a quieter a quieter life and to be more have time to experience you know have ex- more experiences with our kids and um not just be go 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 and family time. is really important to you yeah Uh, And you guys have just invested in a caravan. (laughs) So camping, getting out of the city, out of home, like taking the children into a different environment, taking yourselves out of this environment. You've both got business. You've got two businesses you're both running. You've got a home to run. You've got family. You've got friends. Like, is that also something you would encourage people is to get out of the norm? I think it 
comes back to the basics, doesn't it? It's yeah. about community. It's about interacting with the environment. You know, we know that that has huge mental health benefits and and moving, looking after your body. And I, I think it's just back to the basics. Sometimes we get caught up in the computer world and the fast-paced world and the technology. And I think for me a good life is being back to the basics, being around a community, family and being out in the in the environment and yeah. experiencing the world. You're amazing and kind of touches a chord with me because it's so powerful how we recharge in that environment with a good community and our family. I don't think there's anything better that will not only get us through the challenges but also help us to celebrate the wonder of life and the beauty in life. Yeah. So I want to thank you and I can publicly thank you for, you know, they often say that, you know, you don't, I've often, I often say to Peter, well, I didn't get to choose having my brother in my life, but you chose him and we laugh a bit about it. But the fact that he chose you is just, I can publicly and honestly say it's a, it's a privilege and we're very honoured to have you and that beautiful children of yours in our world. It, it warms my heart every day to, to be around you guys. Um, and I just want to thank you for your time today because many times Peter is so busy with clients or kids or whatever. So I'm really grateful to her time. And any of you mums out there that give time to even listen to this and post your comments, also grateful. Now I'm going to ask you something funny because you will laugh at it. But if people did want to follow you and you already yep. said you're <laughs> undermanaged um, social media pages, but but when you do get there, you post really good stuff. So for those of us, we all get it. You're a yep. mum and you're busy. So we don't expect every post every day but where could we follow you um mindful motion physio on mindful motion physio on instagram i'll put this all in the show notes mm-hmm. um and your specialty really that you give advice in there is around women's health is there anything else that you do you take questions if people have questions and things like that you often, yeah, yeah i do yes yeah. so probably chronic pain women's health and and sporting things am i my um my your jam my jam (laughs) and particularly integrating that women's health with sport and getting back to exercise is something that I'm really passionate about yeah well those children are very lucky (laughs) I think we're very lucky we've got one in the family (laughs) um my final question to you that I love to ask all my beautiful guests is a favorite quote to you at the moment I heard motion is lotion oh yeah you can't use that one um but something that you would share and why well, actually, this one seems very relevant now to what we've just been talking about. Um, a Brené Brown quote that I found recently, it takes courage to say yes to rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I just think we need to hear this again. Can you say it one more time? It takes courage to say yes to rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status symbol. Wow, if there was any message we could take away from this. And yes, I didn't know that was your favourite quote. So how powerful we've talked about this. Look, thank you so much for giving me your time. I'm so honoured. It's such a treat. It seems weird to interview your sister. convincing me. (laughs) I know, but I really, I think this message and what you offer is so powerful. So again, everybody, if you want to follow our gorgeous Peter, Mindful Motion Physio, that is on Instagram. I'll have it in the show notes. Thank you again for being on the Self Love Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com.
Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.